0: You are listening to Highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with Jay Famiglietti, Executive Director of the Global Institute for Water Security at the University of Saskatchewan. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. When we look at the United States, the big picture is in the places where we grow food. These are places that are running out of water. And so that puts not only our water security at risk, but our food security at risk. And so these aren't like state problems. These are national problems. These places can't grow the food that needs to be grown for the nation using only their water. So we need a national strategy and we don't have one. And that, you know, when people hear national strategy, they think like, oh my gosh, pipelines. And that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. I mean, there are simpler things that we can be doing, like integrating groundwater into interstate policy. So first of all, you know, Industry uses most of the water that's withdrawn around the world. That's most of the food industry. So any savings that we can realize in agriculture are huge. Most of the world still uses really inefficient flood irrigation, which is just like it sounds. You build a berm around a field and then you flood it. And a lot of that water evaporates. And so it's quite wasteful. So there are technologies, drip irrigation, deep drip irrigation, covered crop irrigation, which limits evapotranspiration, covered soil irrigation, which can save a lot of water, but even if they only saved a little, that would be huge savings across all of agriculture. And it comes down to farmers, the cost of the crop, the cost of buying the equipment and installing it, and it's expensive. And so it needs to be incentivized. So there we need help from the government, right? I think the fact is we don't really have enough water for agriculture the way we're doing it, right? We just, we don't. And that's why in the satellite work that I do, we see... All this groundwater depletion that's happening, it tied directly to the major agricultural regions around the world. But I think the question is, can we really do without regenerative agriculture? Because we have to have that soil health. Because it retains the nutrients and water in the soils, and it makes them much more sustainable for the long term. And so I think we're past the point of not thinking about the soils, not thinking about the carbon, not thinking about the water. We're way past that. We think in terms of sometimes numbers that are very small, but when you do the math, you realize that they are astoundingly large. So we have a tremendous amount of work to do on this topic. My fear is that we're being reactive rather than proactive. So one of the things that we find about water is that it's really under institutionalized. I mean, UN plays a big role and there's actually a big UN groundwater meeting coming up actually in Paris. At the end of the year, but sometimes these agencies don't really have the teeth to to get things done. And also, I think that although a lot of the work that I do is related directly to climate, I think water sort of takes a backseat to broader climate change issues and carbon issues. So I think that in in general, you know there's a great willingness to work together across countries internationally on, water management on, you know, securing our global water futures jointly, there's a great willingness, but it's sort of under institutionalized. And actually, I just just yesterday finished a proposal and submitted it to try to mitigate that to address that situation by putting in a proposal to form a basically a global groundwater coalition that is a transdisciplinary team of experts that could become you know, not a governing body, but maybe the go-to body for global groundwater policy. There are not a lot of places to go and talk about this. The way we deal with water within states, within the country, you know, within the United States, and even within Canada, in, in a lot of the world, is, is really, it's really fractured. So when you go and you try to talk about these global issues, it's, it's really, really hard. And so again, I use the term under-institutionalized. Who is actually going to stand up so there's a lot of solutions that I think are helpful regionally. I mean they're all great, but they don't really scale. So that just, you know, sort of sets the tone for how huge this water problem is that the only way we're really going to address it is not on the supply side. It's on the demand side. We simply have to use less right? The farms of the future need to be super efficient, right? They need to be using the minimum of water and nutrients to produce the maximum nutrition. And the pricing is a part of it. I mean, what I've been talking about is basically water is a free input on the groundwater side. Again, if you own the land, you can drill a well and you can dig You can pump as much groundwater as you want, even if that means you're pumping water, drawing water in from your neighbors to say your east, west, you know, surrounding neighbors uh, property. And it's a free input. So, you know, this is the classic tragedy of the commons. Why would you stop? It's not in your best interest to stop. So we need better pricing structure. Honestly, we need to redo, you know, our water rights, very archaic water rights and water policy. In the United States, but that's certainly not likely to happen. So it's a very natural part of the water cycle that when it rains, you know, there's a few things that happen. And say it hits the ground, it might run off. It depends on the storage capacity of the soil, or it might sink into, infiltrate into the ground. It might then be evaporated, or it might penetrate more deeply, percolate down and recharge groundwater. So that's a very natural process. And so there are a lot of aquifers and that are close to the surface that can be recharged with normal rain and they can be replenished and that water is renewable. But the problem is when we go deeper and we tap into bigger and deeper aquifers that we're using more water than can be replaced on an annual basis or in human lifetimes, that's how much water we're using. We're extracting, you know, some of these aquifers took millions of years to fill up and we're burning through it in like a century. So we're not gonna be recharging those. So understanding that balance between what is renewable, what's non-renewable, how do we manage that? How do we preserve the non-renewable part for future generations is, you know, only really coming into focus now as a question that needs to be addressed. I wish that we had been more proactive as a, society. We're not really super proactive when it comes to water, when it comes to climate. Look, we're waiting until the very end. And so I think that's human nature. But yeah, I think people are beginning to listen. I think industry, importantly, is beginning to listen and is engaging in, in water stewardship and is engaging in better water accounting, which is super important. So this is one thing that I'm optimistic about is that industry is getting on board. There's going to be a big push a lot of pressure on industry to do more reporting, but industry needs data, needs software to be able to do that accounting. So there's a lot of technology firms that are focused on that. So financial innovations are also not necessarily technology, but when we think about what innovations we need, some of those are financial. Um, So whether it's incentive packages, like we were talking about before, or the need to work with investors, right? So just like we did with carbon, and has been so successful working with investors who invest in the big ag companies, the big food and beverage companies. We've gotten great traction on the carbon side, driving these companies, huge multinational companies, to net zero carbon. We need to be doing the same thing, right, on the water side. And so that investor push is a financial innovation. I think water is taking a back seat. And personally, I feel like, and I have this as a pinned tweet on my Twitter account, water is the messenger that delivers the bad news of climate change to your front door. So in the work that I do, it's heavily intertwined, but it's taking a back seat. There are parts about water that are maybe separate from climate change, and that could be the quality discussions, the infrastructure discussions, although they're you know somewhat loosely related to climate change, and they're impacted by climate change. That's Sometimes part of the reason why it gets split off because it's thought of as maybe an infrastructure problem. But, you know, the changing extremes, the aridification of the West, the increasing frequency, the increasing drought, these broad global patterns that I've been talking about that I've been looking at with my research that's all climate change, just 100% climate change, 100% human driven. And so it does need to be elevated in these climate change discussions. We're all stewards of the earth and the environment compared to earth history which is over four and a half billion years old we're we're just here for a short while and so that it's important that we think of ourselves as stewards of intergenerational knowledge so go for it and remember to pass on your knowledge and your stewardship values to the next generation We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in One Planet podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.